previously on the Broken But Beautiful podcast. Hey, let's be honest about the bad stuff. But let's also name the good stuff. Like, it's not all bad. <laughs> but it begins by, by admitting the bad. You can't find the beauty in all of this unless you sit in the brokenness and grieve. And those who withdraw and isolate themselves and find themselves in loneliness, sometimes they just don't find the opportunities to do that grieving or to sit in that brokenness. I don't know what these conversations have have triggered for you as, as Drew and I have had these, but one of the things that's really important to us is if you are frustrated with the church, if you have experienced some of this brokenness, we just want you to hear us say, we're sorry. One thing that we think is beautiful about the church is that we have open gatherings, that people are welcome regardless of race or creed or beliefs to come and worship and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And in a culture of age segregation and generational silos, the church offers a place where young and old can come together. People of different generations, even millennials like Drew, can come together and listen to one another and grow together. And as beautiful as these open gatherings are and these intergenerational communities are, that doesn't mean that everything is easy, but it is still beautiful. And one thing that is not easy is that we have to be held accountable by others in that community. And a lot of times that means that our ethical accountability comes into question. But here's the thing is that we're surrounded by people who love us and are committed to doing life with us. And that makes those difficult conversations easier. Because our ethics should match up with an identity and what we're given in the scriptures and in the Christian tradition is a transnational identity. We are part of the kingdom of God, which is greater than any kingdom of humans. We're citizens of heaven. And that's an identity that shapes everything. It's an identity that gives us hope. And it's an identity that protects us from thinking all of life has to be filtered through, for example, red and blue categories. It gives us an ability to go above and beyond that. And friends, it's refreshing. I don't know what I would have done the last decade without that identity. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, who might feel that the church is still a broken thing and want nothing to do with it. We want to say, we hope you come back. We want to say, we hope that you can find an open weekly gathering to be a part of. And we know that involvement and participation looks different for different people. And there's a lot of different ways to be connected, but we miss you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Broken But Beautiful podcast. JP, it's good to be here with you again. It's good to be with you. It is a highlight, as always. Yeah, always great to spend some time with you. Hey, we wanted to start out and say thank you to a few people, more than a few people, actually. Uh, We hit 100 listens on the first episode of this podcast this past week. That number is growing for the second episode, and we're grateful for all of you that have decided to tune into this podcast. Absolutely. It's been an encouragement and we've already had a lot of neat conversations with people that have been listening to it. We've been following the trajectory of the book, the first three episodes. Next episode, we're going to start interviewing people. We've already done some of those interviews. We're excited about what's to take place. And so keep listening. So uh, we want you to know that we're not making any money off this podcast. We don't really hope to. We just want this to be a good, beautiful 
helpful conversation for the kingdom of God. And so we want to extend this conversation to as many ears as possible. So this is where on every podcast you hear, please rate and review and subscribe and all of that. We're not doing it for money, but we just want more people to hear and be a part of this conversation. Absolutely. And a lot of this is continuing the conversation from my book, Broken But Beautiful, that I released last November. All the author royalties from that book are going to an amazing ministry here in Nashville, Tennessee, Room in the Inn, uh, that works with the homeless and empowers the homeless. And winter's not over, friends. It has been such a unique time for the whole world. But if you think about homeless ministry now, if you think about our friends that are on the streets, COVID has been such a tricky situation, to put it mildly. And so let's be thinking about those that are working for the most marginalized in these times because they need our help more than ever. Yeah, so you can find the book on Amazon. Uh, you can find it on the Whips and Stock website, which is the publisher. You know, we don't really care if you even read it. Just stick it on your bookshelf. No, that's that's a joke. No, we're kidding. We're kidding. So uh, JP mentioned that the last two episodes and including this episode, we're kind of going through the flow of the book. So two episodes ago, we talked about how church is broken or people experience it as broken. There's a lot of hypocrisy. People see church and they go, I don't know that I trust what's really going on there. A lot of that's cultural. A lot of that is through personal experience. But we on this podcast believe that church is beautiful as well. And so that's what we talked about in the second episode. And so the goal becomes, how can I minimize the bad and maximize the good when it comes to church? Utopia is not around the corner, right? Because as as fallen human beings, even as the Holy Spirit's doing his work, we're not going to have perfection. But how can we minimize the bad and maximize the good? I know from conversations I've been having, we've experienced so much disruption over the last year, and a lot of people are really wondering what is my life going to look like after this? Specifically, what's my social life going to look like? What's my spiritual life? What is my church involvement going to look like? I know people that have not been in church a while who are considering maybe going back. I know people that have been in church and they're kind of disillusioned and thinking about taking a break. And I know people thinking about changing churches, getting more involved all over the map. But as you process, okay, as we come out of COVID, what does a re-engagement look like? I think there's a lot of crucial questions to ask as we have that conversation. First thing we wanted to talk about today, once we begin to name the good and lean into the good, what's the effects on that? I think there are effects towards the people experiencing it, the people in the church, and then we're going to talk about how that bubbles out into the community and there's effects on, on the world. In the book, I talk about how church community, when done well, when done healthy, creates thick culture, and thick culture leads to social capital. Thick culture contrasts with thin culture. So a thin relationship is a relationship where I only see that person in one sphere of my life. I only see them at work. I only see them at school. I only see them at yoga class or spin class or whatever. But a thick relationship is... It's, it's overarching strands coming together. And church has a way of producing thick culture because there's no season that ends. There's no graduation. <laughs> like you're involved with that church until you choose to move on. And it's normally many generations together and there's a thickness to it. Yeah, a lot of what we experience in American culture is rather thin. 
Uh, it's you jump on Twitter or you jump on social media or you watch the news and you see all these things that are happening with people and it's rather easy to disengage with what's going on. You go, oh, I see that that person is doing that, but I don't know them personally, so I can disengage from them. And so a lot of what we experience in American culture is thin culture. It's this these relationships that have no cost on my life or have no effect on my life. So you could follow someone on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You could like something on social media, and that could be a thin relationship. But a thick relationship, you ask questions like, have I been in their house? Have they been in my house? Do I have their cell number? <laughs> Do we text each other? Am I comfortable enough with them in the relationship to text? And, and that becomes how you measure, oh, that, that's a thicker relationship. And, and churches, I believe, have the ability to foster thick relationships. And when you foster thick relationships over time, it leads to a type of wealth. Now, this is not financial wealth. This is not monetary wealth. This is a wealth of relationship, a rich relationship. You can think about relationships that you have that might be considered poor, where <laughs> the relationship stresses you out. It makes you anxious. It's a gaping hole every time you enter into it. But then a rich relationship is, this person is such a blessing to my life. They add so much to my life. They contribute. And I'm not suggesting we look at relationships in transactional ways. But I'm saying is relationships where mutual sacrifice is practiced make people wealthy from a social perspective. So we call that social capital, which means that we're exchanging this different kind of currency. It's not a monetary dollar for dollar exchange of relationship. This social capital is what am I receiving from you and what are you receiving from me that benefits both of us? It reminds me of one of my college buddies moved into my neighborhood six or seven years ago probably. And we had not stayed in close relationship, but we had been friends in college and then suddenly we get this message, hey, we're moving to Nashville. And then Hey, what's your address? And it was amazing. We could walk to their house. It, it was right around the corner. And so they didn't know anyone in our town. And as they were getting adjusted, he would text me a lot and be like, hey, um, the car's sounding funny. Do you know a mechanic? Or, hey, I was going to build some fire. This house has a fireplace. Do you know where to get good firewood? Or what do you think about the local school system? And the interesting thing about that is I rarely had a hard and fast answer for him. But I said, hey, I know a guy or I know somebody. And I realized most of the people I was connecting him with were people I went to church with. Ultimately, they became a part of our church for that reason. They stayed about a year and moved on because it wasn't the best fit for them in every way. But they were drawn to the social capital of that group of people. I'm amazed at how often I get that question where somebody texts me, they're like, do you know somebody in the church who's a realtor? Or do you know somebody in the church who's a mechanic? And I go, yeah, I actually know, because of the size of my church, three or four. And I'd be more than glad to point them to you. And I know that they'd be more than glad to help you. I've had multiple times where there's this one guy at my current church who every time I have a car issue, I go, hey, uh, come back to you again. <laughs> you probably know what it's about. Uh it's my car, but I don't want this to be the whole of our relationship. So that's, that's where thick culture leads to social capital. We build these deep relationships that 
benefit us. And it's not just that we have these thin relationships that it's just like, I come to you for this one thing and that's it. This guy that I come to to ask about my car, I, I deeply love his family. I know that they would do anything for me. I would do anything for them. Uh, and it's just a really beautiful relationship to be a part of. And I've realized this too. The older we get, the more challenging it is to make new friendships. I mean, my children, I'm amazed by how often we went camping. I remember a camping trip we took and my kids were playing on the playground at this campground. And afterwards they said, oh, we made the best friends today. And I said, oh, what were their names? And they're like, I have no idea. Like they didn't even remember their <laughs> names, but they were like the most amazing friends. Like they can make relationships so quickly. As we get older, I think that's harder for us. I don't know all the reasons for that. Maybe that's a separate episode, but it's challenging to make deep connections. But I think churches can foster that because of the thickness. Another way to test how many thick relationships do do I have, I had a tree fall on my house about a year and a half ago. And it was interesting to me how many people I could call who could show up at my house in an hour. And so that becomes that becomes a big test. How many people could I just shoot a text to and say, can you come right now? I don't even have to explain what it is. And they would come. I remember, this is probably 10 or 12 years ago when I was still serving as a youth minister at a church. And I was I was really trying to process, are we giving these students deep relationships? And I had I had read something somewhere that that it's it's helpful if teenagers know five adults really well besides their parents. And so at first I was gonna ask these teenagers, do you know five adults well besides your parents? <laughs> I discovered that was a really unimaginative way to ask teenagers. <laughs> so I asked them, um, if you got arrested tonight and the cops told you you had one phone call, how many people besides your parents would you feel comfortable calling? And I asked this of about 100 teenagers. And some of them said nobody. But I was amazed how many showed me in their phone, like they had the number of five, six, seven, eight adults at our church who they said, if I got arrested, I'd feel comfortable calling them. That's social capital. Nashville in the last 10 years has seen some things. 2010, Nashville flood. In the last year, uh, we're coming up on the one-year mark that uh, a giant tornado ripped through Nashville and on into East Tennessee. And then we got hit by COVID afterwards. Even just a year ago, in what I saw the church do to respond to tornado victims, I'm talking hundreds of people going to a church member's house and just clearing down trees and brush and rubble and pulling people's possessions out of their house. Like that's thick culture. That's social capital right there. That's being a part of something that promotes human flourishing and human success, which we look at the world around us and we go, similar to the question you were just asking of those teens, like how many people can you point to mm -hmm. that actually care about your well-being and would come to you at the drop of a hat? So the social capital that's developed by the thick culture of the church, and I mean, I believe the Holy Spirit's a part of that. If we're truly following the teachings of Jesus, we don't hoard our social capital. Mm -hmm. We share our wealth with the world, right? And so we see this in scripture. We see this in church history when the church has been at her best. The church, the, 
the social capital of the church bubbles out, radiates out to the culture at large. You referenced that, Drew, in in our city as we've dealt with the effects of the tornado and COVID and various things. When I talk to nonprofits in our cities, I'm normally told that their biggest groups of volunteers come from churches. As we look around in our city and we see the nonprofits, the hospitals, the universities, so many of them have a Christian background. So it's it's the social capital of the church being used for the good of the world. It's it's not something to hoard. And I even it even goes further than that. I read an article the other day, and it was someone, not even a person of faith, but it was a psychologist. And obviously, psychologists can be people of faith, but like this was a secular psychologist, and he he was someone was asking him, what needs to happen after the pandemic for us to get healthy again as a society? And he said. We got to get people back in their normal rhythms. We've got to get people back in their schools, getting together with their family. We've got to get cookouts going again. And we have to get people back in their churches because when churches are taking care of each other, then then that's less that's less that the government has to pick up on, right? So it's like if if my church, if we're taking care of each other, then they don't have to go get the very helpful things that our government does, you know, I'm optimistic towards government, you know, but we're able to provide for each other. Sociologists call that a halo effect. It's a benefit that churches provide for the community and it takes a strain off the social safety net. Yeah. Uh, Lately I've been doing some thinking about what is spirituality and what is religion and why would we ever participate in something like that like to some people it just seems so foreign it's like you just walk into the building and you do the same thing every week and what does that do for you but the more i think about it those rhythms are really really important and it's not just the rhythms for rhythm's sake that are important it's rhythms that enforce positive relationship it's rhythms that support emotional health Uh, it's all these things that keep us healthy and functioning as humans it's all these things that allow us to flourish as God has designed us and to be a part of a body of people who are all looking for that same thing that promotes these conversations that promotes thick culture. And therefore you're like, Oh, you're going through what I'm going through. You're thinking what I'm thinking. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk a little bit more about each other's lives. And then we get into some of that social capital thing again. It's like, Oh, well you, the more I talk about this with you, you have something that I would like, and maybe I have something that you would like. And relationship just builds on each, on itself and it grows and it grows and it grows. And so being a part of church is so helpful, which makes me wonder, how do I find that church or yeah. how do I find that body to be a part of? Well, you're so right. Selfish spirituality is not Christian spirituality. Mm. It has to be selfless. It has to be sacrificial. It can't just be for our own good, our personal good. It has to be the good, the good of everybody. And so how can we find that? So coming out of the pandemic, as we're all making intentional choices about what is our church engagement going to look like, I think one of the things, I mean, because I get excited talking about these things, but then I have to remind myself, that doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. <laughs> like it's it's going to be hard. And so it's always good to remind ourselves as we begin to re-engage, it's challenging but the challenge doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. Sometimes the challenge is because it's doing something right. So I play I play enough guitar to be a little dangerous, right? Like I, <laughs> I don't play a ton, but I can I can chord and grin, right? And I'll go through times where I'll play guitar almost every night for a couple months, and then I'll go through times where dust settles on the guitar. 
And when I re-engage the guitar after several months of not playing, my fingers hurt. I develop calluses, sometimes even blisters if I get too into it. And there could be a temptation to think I'm doing it wrong, but I'm doing it right. It's just part of the process is developing the callus. It's it's a strain as I get into it. But if I can if I quit, I'll never I'll never get the joy of playing. But if I can move past the calluses, some beautiful things can really happen. I think it's very similar for church involvement. So, JP, we've got people that are listening to this podcast, obviously, because if you're hearing me say this, you're listening to this podcast. But some people who are listening might be saying, I'm not a part of a church body, but maybe I might want to be. Or we've even got people who are a part of a church body and they're going, okay, I'm starting to ask some questions about the body that I'm actually a part of. And so we've got four questions that we want to ask about participation in church. And what do we do? What does the body look like that we're a part of that makes it, as we're saying in this book, worth it? So this is our response to kind of the classic question of how do you choose a church? And I get in conversations, Drew, I'm sure you're the same way with people about church all the time, because the second question, people say, hey, what's your name? What do you do? When I tell them I'm a minister, all kinds of things then happen. But I talk about church with people all the time, and many people are dissatisfied with their church experience. I think the reason is most of us choose churches based on things that don't necessarily lead to our satisfaction. So we're choosing churches the wrong way. I think oftentimes we choose churches based on the overall vibe of the space, okay, the building or the place where they meet and kind of what that vibe is. We may choose it based on different programs that the church offers, uh, the quality of, of the music or the preaching or whatever. And all those things matter. It's just my thesis, they don't go deep enough. And so we've talked a lot today and last two episodes about the beauty of the common life we do together. And I think the biggest mistake most of us make is we choose a church based on the worship hour, the meeting hour. And I think we need to choose our church based on their entire common life that they live together 24-7. So the first thing I would say is, is there beauty in the common life of this church? Is it something that captivates your spiritual imagination where you're like, I want to do life with these people. So it's not, boy, the music was really good or the program was really good, but it's, I want to live with these people. I want them to be my phone call (laughs) when a tree falls in my house or I get thrown in jail. I want them to be, I want them to be the adults that help me raise my kid. I mean, that's what me and my wife have asked a lot over the past few years. What group of people do we want to raise our kids with? Is there a beauty in the common life? And so that, it leads really quickly into the second question of does this church or does this body offer the potential for thickness? Yeah. So I think a lot of times people find a good church, they find it like, oh man, I want to do life with these people. And yet there are boundaries that make thick culture hard with them. The easiest one to think of is people driving a great distance. And so I know people that have made it work driving 45 minutes to an hour with their church and they have a great common life but it's hard work. I know that when I have truly experienced that culture, it's when I ran into people from my church in the grocery store. (laughs) And that was kind of always a test for me. When I randomly ran into people 
on the street or our kids went to the same school. Our kids played in the same little league. And so I think we need to think very wisely about distance. I see people drive 45 minutes to an hour because the preaching's better or the music's better or the programs are better. But I'm not certain you're ever going to be able to have thick culture at that type of distance. Here's the disclaimer that we should have named before we started naming out these questions is that you're not going to walk into a building or a group of people and have the answers to these four questions immediately because you can't walk into a church and immediately go, the culture here is thick (laughs) or like, oh yeah, all these people, they definitely share a common life skill. You have to spend some time with people getting to know them. And like what you're saying is that if you only show up for the preaching, if you only show up for the programming, if you only show up for the worship uh, experience, you're not going to understand what this church looks like when they do common life together. You're not going to understand just how close these people are, and you're not going to understand what it's like to be a part of these people's lives. Which leads to the third question, which is, does this church demonstrate vulnerability and authenticity? You're not going to know whether the people of this church highly value authenticity and vulnerability if you only spend an hour or less a week with them. You're not going to find a perfect church. So the question that becomes, are you going to find a church that is imperfect but won't acknowledge it or a church that's imperfect and owns it? Mm. Okay. So I want to be a part of a church that knows they're not perfect right. and owns it. I mean, an easy way to look for this is, because I look for this in relationships, are people willing to laugh at themselves? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's always some type of church blooper or church mishap, right? The mic doesn't work. Somebody spills communion, like something like, can people just laugh and not take themselves so seriously? And when a mistake is made, this is a test in leadership I look for in a lot of areas of my life. Can people say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I tell you, I feel really uncomfortable in churches when they will never just say, I'm sorry. So I think that's an important thing. And I think I think you're right. I think you can't find it like the first Sunday you show up. But normally, we, if you're going to a church, you probably have a friend that goes there. And I think if we ask the right questions, or if we ask the right questions, we can find evidence or lack thereof of these things. Yeah. One thing that you probably could catch on pretty quickly too, is, this is our fourth question, is does this church fit theologically with what I think or with what I believe. I think it's interesting that this is the fourth question Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people would say, shouldn't that question be up higher on the list? But what I hear you saying is that if people are able to dialogue together and are able to have relationship together, then that provides a space to have theological conversation that's healthy. I guess the reason I put it fourth, it's not that it's fourth in importance, but it's maybe fourth in sequence. I've just seen so many people drive such a long way for the perfect theological fit, but maybe it was a group of people that had the right theology, but maybe they didn't always practice their theology Mm -hmm. in terms of really living in community with one another. Drew, (laughs) we're Bible people. Like, we care (laughs) a ton about what the Bible says. So, when we say healthy theological fit, you know, there's a temptation, and people that know me well are probably already chuckling here. Like... I have lots of thoughts on what a healthy theological fit should be. (laughs) But um, that's why the third question is so important. Are they vulnerable and authentic? And I just want to be vulnerable and authentic to say, 
I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. And I don't think it's my role, specifically in, in this podcast, we could talk more face-to-face, to lay all that out for someone. Yeah. Because um, I know people that have felt pressure from friends and family members on what a healthy theological fit was. And I think it's good for us to take a deep breath, pray, read the scriptures, and, and allow the Spirit to lead us to that. Man, we've talked about a lot in this episode. We've talked about a lot over the last three episodes. And I think it's important to remember that this whole journey of discovering why church is beautiful in the midst of the brokenness is exactly that. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. There are so many questions along the way, and we don't presume to answer <laughs> any of them. But we hope by you know laying out these four questions that you might be able to walk in to a church, spend some time with their people, and find something that is truly beautiful and find a place that you're able to flourish in. I'm really excited about the next episode. We're going to start to introduce you to some people that mean a lot to us and some people that have really formed our thinking on this and people that when our lives have been really hard, they were a living example Mm -hmm. on the need for spiritual community and why church is truly worth it. So Uh, We appreciate you joining us, and we look forward to introducing you to some of the people that mean the most to us. Yeah. JP, good to be with you. And to those of you listening, thanks for tuning in.